I don't know who that guy that uh, Billy was describing, but I'm Dustin Carter, um, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to come here this morning uh, and speak on Father's Day. It's a, it's a special day, and, uh, and my father is here today, and, uh, and I am a father, so that's great, and we get to worship our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> um, I want to tell you a little bit of, about myself, um, married to Kristen, my lovely bride of coming up of uh, 17 years, but I actually met her 18 years ago at church. That's a true story. And uh, I tell everybody that that's the first time I've seen an actual angel while I was at church. So, and got to marry her. So that's a good thing. Um, got two beautiful children, Camden and Sarah. Camden has been working the lights today. So uh, if you look at me, look at Kristen, you look at our two redheaded kids. Yep, they're ours. And we get a questions a lot. <clears throat> and then Actually, my day job is I work in healthcare. I'm a physician assistant, and I've been doing that for about 20 years. And so those first 20 years have been fast. Um, now, I was uh, born and raised Pentecostal. Anybody born and raised Pentecostal? I, I know I got some. There you go. All right, so that's my amen corner. I see a lot of them over here. So I'm expecting some amens from uh, Pentecostals. Um, I really appreciate um, our leadership uh, with Billy and Blake and among others. But I also wanted to thank uh, some other leaders here, and you'll see them, our connectors. You'll see them in the blue shirts, and then those that work in KK. Uh, they're in the orange shirts. So if you see them, thank them. But if somebody's wearing a blue and orange shirt together, don't talk to that person. They need Jesus, because they worship a reptile down in Florida. So we don't, but, do it, but witness to them, witness to them. Hey, hey I got a dog fan of them. Uh, <clears throat> a little bit behind the story of how I got here. Um, this is what happens when you lose a bet with your pastor. Uh, you wind up on stage, but no, that's not it. Um, a message, a text message came out to, to myself and some other individuals about having the opportunity to speak. And uh, when I first read it, I looked at it and went, nope, it's not for me. I don't believe that. Billy has missed God. Let me, uh, let me conjure up the Holy Spirit and get a good discernment uh, reply to this message. And I didn't get one. So um, then I'm negotiating with the Holy Spirit. What do you mean he's right? You mean that's just, this is the obedience? This is what you're going to have me to do? And the answer is yes. And that's why you see me here today. All right. Um, we're going to dive into Revelation today. Uh, Revelation is in chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and grab that, get your electronic devices out or Bibles out. It's going to be a little bit of a sword drill. So if you're uh, born and raised in Sunday school like me, you know what that was. So that means we're going to be going through the Word. Um, but Revelation, even when I was reading it as a kid, you know, the, the beast, uh, the bowls, the seals, that's a pretty interesting book. Uh, it can be uh, scary, but we know in chapter 1 it said that if we read it and apply it, that we're blessed by it. So that's, a good, that's good reassurance. Toward the end, though, it says if you try to change anything in this book, uh, you could be cursed. So we're not going to do that today. All right, we're going to jump into Revelation. Uh, we're going to unpack this, uh, these verses, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, and that unpacked comment, that, that's a shout-out to uh, Dustin Phillips, our pastor up in, uh, in Athens, Connection Athens. All right, we ready? All right, here we go. The letter to Ephesus. Write to the angel, which is the leader, of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars, the one who holds the seven stars, that's Jesus in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Isn't that reassuring that God walks 
with us. Um, and the golden lampstands are the churches. I know your works. All right, a little participation. On the count of three, everybody say, I know. One, two, three. That was for Blake Hardiman. He loves doing that. <laughs> Somebody got that Love Blake. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. <clears throat> you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That's an interesting statement, nervous statement coming from God. You have abandoned the love you had at first. <clears throat> Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practice of, practices of the Nicolaitans. Notice he said practices. He didn't hate the Nicolaitans. The practices, which is more idol worship and other immoralities, so which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And when I was reading through this and I was thinking through this and getting prepared for today, um, I already took one swing at the 9 a.m. service, so you guys get the second swing, is that when I'm reading this, it's, it's almost as if, and it, it seems to me that Jesus and God are giving this church a job review performance review. And so, hey, here's something you did right, and here's something that you did wrong, and this is how we're going to correct it. And if you've been in, employed long enough, you've had some of those, and if you've been a supervisor of your own, your own business, you've performed a lot of those. And so I've had the opportunity to do those in the position that I'm at. But what I want to discuss today, what can we learn from the church of Ephesus? What can we learn from this first letter? One, point number one, what were they doing right? Point number two, what were they doing wrong? And then three, how does that apply to us today? We've got to have the application so we can go live it. All right? Point one, letter A, if you're taking notes, and I'm a note taker. Good number one, works matter. Now, I'll preface this immediately. It's not works for salvation, but works from salvation. So if you're a Christian and you're under the blood of Christ, then you're about to go, you're to go about the Father's business. And that's, just, that's related in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, <clears throat> created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So the end of that verse, God has prepared us to do works for his kingdom. So if you're saved, we get about to do things, and sometimes it's to get out of your comfort level and get up and speak, or it's to join a connect group, or it's to speak to someone that the Lord has, been, has put on your heart to go speak to them, but answer that when the Lord prompts you. Also, in the book of James, which is another tough book, um, when I say tough, it's convicting if you read it. Uh, chapter 2, verse 26, <clears throat> For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So, has anybody ever seen a dead body before? 
Got some of my health care people on here. There we go. So that body still exists, but it does not function. And that's what I believe the text is getting to, is that you can still be in existence and have a faith that does not function. Now, my generation, and I'm in my 40s, we, there was a movie that came out, Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's was a, a film that, about a guy, he was not alive, but as, as try as they could, they tried to animate this guy, and that did not work. So you don't, we, I, I'm gonna speak to myself, do not want my faith to function in that regard. Tony Evans put it great this way in his commentary, and if you want a good Bible to go by, get his study Bible. James wants us to know that it's possible for a believer to have a useless faith. Some people think that James is contradicting Paul who said, a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But Paul is talking about a sinner becoming a saint, where James is talking about how saint brings heaven to earth, which is through what you do for Christ. If you have not went through the heart and soul class here, that's sort of our membership class, there is a great breakdown on this and also about salvation, sanctification, and then glorification. Salvation, when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then sanctification is what we're going through now, the process of trying to get closer to Him. And I'm looking forward to the glorification process where we can shed off this body that's corruptible and put on the uncorruptible because as I'm working my way through my 40s, I figure out I wake up and I'm hurting for reasons I don't know. And it wasn't anything heroic either. Why is my shoulder hurting? You know, why is my uh, knee hurting? Did I go rescue somebody? No. You're in your 40s now. Congratulations. All right, further examples in James. James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. The commentary on these verses said, if a brother is hungry, he doesn't need a sermon. He needs a ham sandwich. So, putting faith in action by helping those in needs. Medical missions and uh, other missionaries that go out, that's what they do when they go into these villages. If you were to come in contact with someone that's thirsty and, they, and then they're hungry and you're trying to minister the, the gospel to them, they're not going to be able to hear you over their growling stomachs. So, if you're able to meet someone's physical needs in that regard, it opens the door to the, their ultimate need, which is salvation. Now, a question that I ask myself, and we can ask all of our, all ourselves, is that what am I using and what am I doing with the gifts God has given me to advance the gospel? And those are spiritual gifts, and we've talked about those. Giving, hospitality, discernment, which we'll talk about, helps, healing, and music. So when I think about works, <clears throat> I think about the parable of the talents. Um, just to summarize, so I won't have to read through all those verses, is that a man went away on a journey, but he had three servants. One he gave five talents, and one he gave two talents, and one he only gave one. But he gave them each to their own ability. We all have different abilities. And to the one that had five, gave five, well done, my good and faithful servant. To the two that brought two, well done. So the, the last one with the one didn't do anything. 
his faith was useless. His works were dead. So he called him a lazy servant. So that's not something that I want my uh, creator and my savior to be able to say about me. I want to be able to be about the father's business. Now, commentary on from that, of course, to Tony Evans, I love this. This parable is a picture of what Jesus has done. He's gone away and he's coming back soon. In turn, what should we be doing as believers while he's away? You need to be about the father's business. All right, as, three, as Christians, we have three things to be stewards of. Time, talent, and treasures. Um, concerning all these, what am I doing with what I've been given? Now, time, day-to-day -day things, day-to-day -day opportunities. Uh, an example that I gave, and I'll use again, is I have the unique opportunity to be able to speak to people, on, albeit on a one-on-one -on -one basis at my job, room to room. And I look for opportunities where God brings somebody in that room and I have a word to speak to them. Or they have, they will tell you the deepest, darkest things that's going on with them. And if they, if someone asks you or say, can you just pray for me or you pray for me about it and say yes and move on, Blake has issued a great challenge that I've accepted. If someone says that to me, I pray for them at that moment. So what would happen? I walk out of that room, you walk away from that person We've lost that opportunity because we're all busy. So use that opportunity to take that talent and turn it into another um, a way to minister to someone because that may, it will bless that person, help that person, and you, you have no idea how that could minister to someone going down the line in their lives. Uh, talents, spiritual gifts from God to develop and use for kingdom purposes. Have we all taken the time to evaluate the talents that we all possess because we all possess them? but they're not all the same. And I'll give a case in point that y'all may not all know it because I'm not on the stage behind a microphone up here on the worship team, but I have a very biblical voice. But I don't know why Andrew doesn't put me up here because I create a joyful noise during the uh, worship service, but I can't carry a tune. I can carry a noise, but I can carry a tune. So it's good to know what your gift and what your talent is, but it's also good to know what it is not. That old saying, don't try to nail a square peg in a round hole. Don't do that. You're trying to build yourself up, and in reality, we should be humble and try to build up the kingdom of God. So that's one area, unless there's a miracle, and I believe in miracles, won't be up here like Kristen singing. <clears throat> uh, the next T, time, talents, treasures, financial resources, also a spiritual gift, which is given. Um, a little speech, or not a speech, but a quote that I, I like, that I found, and I've given it to my kids before too, that God owns everything, and that means you own nothing. So I've had my children say, well, this is mine, and this is mine. I'll go, no, you're holding it. I own it. Same thing with God. He owns, if he speaks, if he can speak the universe in, uh, to existence, he owns everything here, and that, that comes out in an example in Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours, the earth also is, is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth is the Lord's and all that it's in it. Um, maybe you've heard uh, Jesus' teachings about possessions and treasures. Um, he speaks about it in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth 
and rust destroy <clears throat> and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So does that mean that having possessions or having money is a bad thing? No, that's not evil. Money is not evil. That's been twisted around. It's the love of money that's evil. That becomes your God. Um, just like the saying was, it's, uh, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God because they've replaced their God with money. Now, giving and treasures is one area in the Bible that I have found that God says, test me in it. And we, there's other areas that says, don't test the Lord your God. Don't test the Lord your God. But in this area, God says, go ahead. Double down on what you give and see if I don't give it back in turn. That's in Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. A couple of other verses that go along with giving and treasures. Luke 6:38. Give and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I mentioned in the first service, uh, my parents have been worship leaders for as long as I can remember. Um, and I would play the drums. And this is a song that I remember. I see my parents right there. That give and it will come back to you. And when it comes back to you, just think about if you're given something, if, if you're closed-fisted, and you're not wanting to give, you're like this. How can you ever receive the blessing back if you're like this? And that's the next verse. The point is this, the person, and that's 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, sorry. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So giving in reluctance, that's, that motivation is not seen as a blessing to God. And I've personally experienced God's blessings through giving in my life. And blessings can come in a multitude of forms, and that doesn't have to necessarily say that it's going to come in a monetary form. God's blessings can come in all sorts of things. Um, just a few that I listed was health. I mean, he can bless you with health. He can bless you, bless you with favor. And there's been a, it's, we say this with the kids, but when Kristen's trying to find a parking spot in a, in a parking lot, and there's one that opens up near where we're trying to get to, we can look at the kids, and when we find it, and they say, they all say it. Favor is what they'll say. They'll say, it's God's favor. Um, he can also guide us through life and order your steps. And, and what I mean by that is, when you're going through life, you're continuously looking forward. You're trying to get to the next place. You're trying to figure out where you need to go. But God can order those steps if you're faithful to him. And I can attest to this in my life, is I can look back and see where God has ordered some steps where I thought maybe I needed to make a decision here, but there were points in my life where God says, no, you need to go here. And I can look back and say, God ordered those steps because my life could have went in a completely different direction. 
Um, <clears throat> a cool story that I have that goes along with giving also, um, it, it, it boils down to the, Blake talked about, you can have a blessing in the release of your treasures. And such as that is, there were uh, particular individuals uh, taking up money for a group of young men that did not have Bibles, and they were in a youth home. And so I was listening to this person talk, and of course God prompts you, he prompts me that you need to give to this, because I'll tell you this, Satan's not going to tempt you to do a good thing. So if you get that prompt, if you get that feeling that I need to invest or do something for the kingdom of God, do it. And so I, I was like, well, don't have the checkbook in my hand or my pocket, and I usually just carry around plastic, but I do have some cash in my pocket, so didn't even count it. Reached up, said, hey, this is what I have to give, and they took it. I got a message from that person that night is that along with other people, collections of money, the amount that was left to the dollar was met for those individuals to get those Bibles. Now, who did that bless? It blessed those men, but it's severely blessed me that God said, listen, I'm letting you in on what I'm doing. I just want you to participate in it. It's going to get done. What God says is going to get done. I just want you to participate in that. So, I challenge you to do that. Uh, you'll be blessed. All right, now, let me move on. What, what am I doing with my time, talent, and treasure for God's kingdom? So, good number two, point B. The heart matters. They, were, they had true motivation behind their works. So, I'll give an example. When I talk about true motivation, has anyone seen a 10 and a 12-year-old collect trash? Let me give you the reaction. That's the way mine do. <clears throat> so, are they motivated to do it? Are they doing a work? Yes. Is their heart not in it? It is not. So, motivation is a big factor. So, let's go to Ezekiel 36, 26. We'll talk about that. God gives us a new heart and put a new spirit within us and removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Now, when I was in school... My favorite class was Gross Anatomy. Absolutely loved it. I'd sign up for it again today if I could. And the most, one of the most amazing organs in the heart is the heart that's in the body. Of course, all of it works together, just like God made it. And when I, when I looked at this very unselfish person that allowed me to, to study them in school, I said, you know, there are double and triple PhD people out here saying that this happened by accident, and it did not. We are divinely created. The way we are just knitted together, it's amazing. But the heart is amazing, and I remember taking my family down there, specifically my dad, and I see my brother here today. Uh, my, what I can re remember is my brother wasn't very excited about being down there and seeing all that stuff um, and just being around it, but the average heart just average heart beats 100,000 beats in a day, just average. Just one day in your life. Just think about over your lifetime. And if you hold that heart in your hands, you can, it's a little bit malleable. I mean, it's muscular, but you can squeeze it. And so God can do something with that heart. Now, a diseased heart doesn't happen overnight, 
over time, that muscle becomes fibrotic, which means it hardens. So if you're not open to what God needs to do and we're more selfish, it's hard to do that with a hard heart. And you can feel that in each hand. It's amazing. Um, so examine your heart. Um, so what, about, what motivates me? What motivates you? And it should be love and adoration for Jesus and what he did on the cross for you and for me. Romans 5, 8 says we did. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when he went to that cross and endured even before he got there, he knew who he was doing it for. He wasn't doing it for a perfect person. He was doing it for a very imperfect person. And I want to make sure that's clear because that was me and that was you. And I'm going to read in Matthew for a little more perspective. Matthew 25, 35 through 40. Sheep and the goats. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, <clears throat> whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So just think about that. Even if you give a cup of water in his name, he sees it. What did we talk about when we first read the letter? He knows. And he also knows your motivation, and he knows my motivation. Um, 1 Corinthians 13.3, Paul instructs us that all gifts and manner of gifts are virtually useless without love and a true heart of thankfulness for God's gift of salvation. So in contrast, what can hinder our hearts? So motivation can help our hearts. Knowing what God has done for us can help our hearts. What can hinder it? Distractions, division, and discouragement. One thing I know, if you're a child of God, Satan cannot defeat you. That's another D. So since he cannot defeat you, he will try to discourage you. He will try to distract you or divide your family, divide your church. So since he cannot possess you, he will try to possess the next generation or, or whoever he's trying to, to uh, subdue or fool. So just remember that he can't defeat you. All right, not only were the Ephesians good at works and motivation, but they also were praised for discernment. Remember, I tried to have some discernment with Billy, and the Holy Spirit confirmed that he was acting the way he was supposed to. Uh, good number three, intolerance to evil and false prophets. Prophets, excuse me. The Ephesian church exercised spiritual discernment. I'm going to read it um, the way John MacArthur defines it. Discernment in its simplest definition is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with an ability to think biblically. So if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have discernment. You have the ability because the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict what God's Word says. 
Now, not all have the gift of discernment. And I'll use an example. I played baseball when I was younger. I have the ability to play baseball. But I did not have the gift of playing baseball. Otherwise, I would have got a D1 scholarship somewhere and played for the Braves and got a World Series ring. And, but that's not it. If we can remember with the talents, each to their own ability. But you do have the ability for discernment. You just have to be able to plug that in. Like a fan that would work, it'll sit there until you plug it in. Need to activate it. Get in God's Word. Um, and this looks like some scripture concerning this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Test all things. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. And even Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7, 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. And Paul again, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 through 15. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So what's some examples of using discernment? We're going to get into that. Distinguishing truth from error, right from wrong, and pure motives from impure. Trust the Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. You're a Christian. He's inside of you. Trust it. Identify deception with accuracy and appropriateness. Some people will twist Scripture. If, you know, just listen. Determine whether a word attributed to God is authentic. Here's a good one. Don't believe everything you hear. Back it up with the Word of God. Recognize inconsistencies in a teaching, prophetic message, or interpretation to remember. Be on your guard because those can come in sheep's clothing and angels of light. And here's my best example that I can give. And it's how I was taught in medicine, and it's how I also teach students that come through the office, is they're very curious about how to get to a certain diagnosis. How did you get to what this diagnosis was? How did you know this is what this was? The best answer I can give for them is because I know what normal looks and sounds and feels like. So when I encounter abnormal, that's what triggers my investigative mode. All right, this is not normal, what do I need to do? Same thing with a, a counterfeit specialist. How does a counterfeit specialist know the real deal? thousands of different counterfeit bills. You think they know every one of them? Absolutely not. They put it up to what the original is, and if it doesn't match, then that's not it, it's counterfeit. The personal examples in my own life is that there have been teachings. There's still teachings out there now, popular. I mean, very exciting teachings coming from very exciting people, but then you have to dig down and listen to what they're actually saying and go to the Word. And so those things were very popular, and uh, Chris and I had to decide that even though some of the things they were saying was not bad, was not incorrect, it deviated from Scripture. One thing being is that some would teach that Jesus was not God on the earth. He was God in heaven. He was God when He got back to heaven but he was not God on earth, and that's called a, a kenosis doctrine. You can read up on that if you want to. And then universalism, 
You know, if God is love and God loves everybody, then why would anybody, why doesn't everybody go to heaven? See, that's a feel-good story, and that's called universalism, but it can be wrapped in things that are exciting. And I remember my math teacher telling me, and it's good advice now, if it was wrong at the beginning, it's going to be wrong at the end. So just be on your guard and pass all teachings through the furnace of God's Word. I don't know if anybody took classes like that. I took welding and shop class. I used to love all that. If I didn't go into medicine, I'd be doing something in that regard. But if you heat up that metal, with, and the impurities would come out of it. And so if you heat up messages and you listen to the Holy Spirit and you go through God's Word, you can practice discernment. All right, Jesus gave encouragement and then faults. So we'll go to point number two. What were they doing wrong? Let's read verse four. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. So that's a rebuke. And really, how did the Ephesians do this? They drifted. Blake had a great example a few weeks ago about drifting, and it was perfect because it related to me, and it will be in a few weeks, is that when you're at the beach, you're sitting there, and your kids are out on the water, and they're here, and then when in a moment's notice, they're over here. They didn't know, because I've been guilty of doing that myself. You look back, okay, well, where's the tent? Where are we at? Didn't do it on purpose. Drifted. One degree of separation can do that. Here's a list of warning signs that a person or a church has left their first love. And this is, I tell you, this will stomp on your toes. It did mine. Number one, Christ is no longer the central focus of your life. What do I wake up pursuing in the morning? Is it, you know, when's the next Georgia game? When am I going to eat for lunch? You know, or is it, okay, I'm waking up. God, thank you for this day. How do I need to serve you today? Neglect time with the Lord. Allow family and friends and job and our own desires to impede relationship with God, the busyness of life. Um, we were gifted a book from the church about busyness and the hurriness. I think it's the sick of, sickness of hurriness. Um, I got to hurry up and read it, but I haven't yet, but I'm getting to it. But that, that, that impacts me. Caught in a cycle of dead works. You know, just going through the motions. And these, these can be seasons of our lives. These, can be see, these have been seasons in my life. Um, more tolerant of sin and no desire for the lost. And that's how we drift. But one thing I know is that God is like a lighthouse. Is that if we do drift, we can look and see where, how far we've left and know how to get back. Uh, to be a Christian is to love Jesus and obey. John 14, 21 and 23, love obeys. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, love is important. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. Now to help us understand this a little better, let's look at a basic definition of love. 
So basic definition. Love is the emotion felt and actions performed by concern for the well-being of another person. So love is a verb, needs to be in motion. It involves affection, compassion, care, and self-sacrifice. So I'm gonna give some examples of love, some things that I love. You may not love all these things, but this is my list. So I love the Georgia Bulldogs. Anybody picked up on that yet? There you go. That was an amen practically. When you say go dogs, that's it. I love my wife, Kristen. And I also love steak, cooked medium rare. If you cook it well done, we need to speak after church. And then I love God. Now, these loves are not all the same, of course. We'll look at some other examples. First love or love at first. Now, Ephesus was accused of leaving their first love. So I'm a blessed man in that I know that Kristen has only had three loves in her life. Jesus, her daddy, and me. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, they may not be true, but that's what I'm going with. It's 100% true in my mind. It's not a lie if you believe it. All right, so it's Father's Day for us guys. Can you remember the things that you did at first when you were dating your wife, or as my grandmother used to say it, courting? You were courting your wife? And do you remember those things? You need to say yes, because if you're sitting next to her, you need to say yes. That'll help you out. Uh, and in an example, the great poet, Tim McGraw, once wrote, I would wash my truck and dress up just to pick her up to watch TV. That guy was in love, wasn't he? Got to remember that, first love. Another example that's funny, once knew a guy, I still know him, he wrote uh, his girlfriend a poem in French. Sweet, talented. So I posed the question, does she read French? Does she speak French? No, she does not. So that wasn't a very good gift, but he was trying. And another example would be to tell you how strong is love. Love is so strong that a Vidalia Indian Georgia Bulldog is married to a Toombs County, Florida Gator. And that's me and my wife, Kristen. But our children are being raised dogs, so that's good. All right, back to the message and bring you back. Um, as we saw before, the Eng English language is forced to bear the burden of a multitude of meanings of love. But what we're talking about here is agape, God's perfect and sacrificial love. So how much does God love us and why does he deserve, deserve our love in return? Well, let's go back to Scripture. Here's the answer. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 and verse 19. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. <clears throat> love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. So what should our response be? Let's look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. As we talked about earlier, he loved us so much he went to the cross for us, knowing that we were sinners. I'm a sinner. So that motto that we preach around here, love God and love people, develop that motto. It's a good one, and it's easy to remember. 
So what was the correction? So they know what we did, they did good, know what they did bad, so what do we need to do about it? Repent. So he told the church of Ephesus we need to repent. So repenting is more than just saying you're sorry. Repenting is change of behavior. I can't continue to do something and just say sorry and then keep doing it. I'm not sorry. I'm just getting away with it over and over again. But it's a change in behavior. And if you think about this, did the church of Ephesus do it? Well, is that church active today? No. We had a team of people that was just there. Church of Ephesus is not there. Their lampstand had been removed. So point three, how does this apply to all of us today? That's the big question, isn't it? We're going to get to it. So what's it all mean? Why is it important? If Jesus was addressing our church, and he is, because these letters are just as relevant to the church today as they were back then, what would he say to us as a church? Would he say we have lost our first love? Would he commend us? How would he encourage us? How would he challenge us? And since it's Father's Day, more importantly, what would he say to me? And what would he say to you? And I'm going to speak to dads for a minute. There were some amazing statistics that I came up with. And I was not going to do this. And I told Billy it was a game time decision, but the Lord says you're going to do it. <clears throat> Family salvations statistics. So if a child is the first one to become a Christian in the household, there's a 3.5% chance that that house will also become Christians, receive salvation. So if mom is the first to become a Christian, then there's a 17% chance that that household becomes Christian. Here's the important one. They're all important, but this, this is it. If a dad comes to salvation, then there's a 93% chance that that household comes to salvation. I'm not a math major, struggled in it, but I can do that math. That's pretty easy. So for some of us, that's going to be repentance. Some of it's going to be salvation. But I'm going to go into a personal story. I want dads here to think about the first time you figured out when you knew you were going to be a father. That was a good day, wasn't it? It was a good day. And when you held your child in your arms the first time and you heard that baby cry, that's a great day. That was a great day. Still remember it. But the greatest day you'll ever have as a father is when you see your child born again. And I had that opportunity right here. My son Camden received salvation in school. We're blessed, blessed at where he goes. But I got to baptize him right here on that stage, on this stage. It's amazing. Dads, you are important. You do not give up your position in your household. 
I read through those statistics, they're staggering. And it's unfortunate that in America, a lot of households are missing fathers. So I want to challenge the ones that's in front of me and the ones that's listening to me today. Don't abdicate your responsibility. You're the leader of your home. You're the priest of your home is what the Bible says. You need to be, do not leave your first love and be on guard for your family. Now, for some people today, that doesn't make a lot of sense. What do you mean you're leaving your first love? Well, the reason that doesn't make a lot of sense is because you haven't accepted it. And I'm just going to ask everybody, every eye is closed. Bow your heads. There's some in here today listening to these words coming from this uneducated gospelly person who's just being obedient that you feel that in your chest your heart's beating that's the Holy Spirit working on you that's nothing that I could do absolutely not that's God Almighty and if you're here today and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior like I said before you haven't left the first love you have to accept it and salvation requires a response so what I want to ask today because we want to pray for you if you want to be bold you need to be bold if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior today's the day Father's Day if you would lift your hand high so that we can see you and we can pray for you do it now lift it high I'll give you just one second or a few seconds Uh, for the rest of us in this room everybody I'm just going to challenge you challenging myself let's go back to our first love let's put on the full armor of God Let's go be what God wants us to be, which is obedient servants for him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I'm glad in your word that you said that you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're not a way. You're the way. Don't let anything outside that statement cloud us, Lord. Don't let it distract us. Let it lead us to you, Lord. If it's not to salvation, it's to repentance, Lord. Change our ways and let us be more useful for you, Lord. Let us have that heart of flesh. Let us have that open hand and go do your will in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys for listening to me. Have a happy Father's Day, and we hope to see you guys next week. Thank you.